0: Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of the Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz and Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz and Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. It's our 15th anniversary and still going strong. We got some ugly and nasty action for the streaming services. Netflix gets hammered. Sell the rips, apparently. Well, that's the theme that's continuing. We have a change in dynamic from some Fed speakers, and we're continuing our talk and take on Financial Literacy Month. All this and much more on episode number 763 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me. The last show of April 2022, and as we know, it is also Financial Literacy Month. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz, founder, and I am the uh, president of Horowitz & Company. We're an investment advisory firm, or look at it as wealth management, or financial planning and future planning, financial security. Whatever you want to call it is what we do for you in the area of investment. And you know what? This show, this show, the Discipline Investor Podcast, is now officially hit its 15-year anniversary. Oh, my gosh. I remember. Seriously, I remember the first few shows. I was really nervous. We used GarageBand or some other rinky-dink type of platform on a laptop to record with this little bitty mic. And I had this kind of nasal voice, and I don't know why. It just sounded awful like I was... Just, uh, j- j- you know, some young, which I was a younger kid back then with uh, a very nervous type of way of me because I had to, at that time, spend days coming up with a script that I would review because I didn't want to mess anything up. And now here we are 15 years later. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll c- put a couple of pointers down, a couple of areas on the outline, some things that I definitely want to hit on. I don't want to forget but I can pretty much free flow this thing (laughs) as you well know for a long time and pretty cool way that things have changed over the years. Not only from that aspect, but what about the equipment I have my own studio in my office that is dedicated just to audio and visual podcast, TV, whatever else, radio, whatever else going on. But that is a dedicated area in my office. all soundproofed to make it sound also nice and it, has some great lighting in here, and the speakers are on this. I always wanted this really cool, what do you call this thing? Uh, this, this microphone uh, stand that was adjustable. I got all. It makes it really not only easier, but it also makes it much more conducive to have a great show each and every week, whether there's a guest on or not. So thank you so much. Seriously, seriously, thank you for being here all this time and making this show such a success that it is with all the people, the the millions of downloads, the tens of millions of downloads that we've had, as well as the, the thousands upon thousands of people that we have helped over the years get towards that level of financial security and making sure that they are set for their future or for whatever it is that there is that their outline is for making that level of financial success that they want. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And that dovetails right into what we're talking about right now because it is April. That is a time that has been consecrated as Financial Literacy Month. And here we are talking about the things that we talk about, which is finance and money and all that. And last show... If you had the opportunity to listen. If you didn't, you need to go back to that. Episode 762, we spent a good amount of time on the discussion of the area of financial literacy. What it was, what it isn't, the definition, how it's evolved. We also talked about a giveaway where I said, you know, it's Financial Literacy Month. We have a dozen or so books that we're going to give away. The Discipline Investor Essential Strategies for success, I'm going to give that away to you if you are a person that will send in a question or a comment on the Ask Andrew area of thedisciplinedinvestor.com. To simply go there, give me your address too, in case you're one of the randos that are picked, the random names that are picked, um, and we have a few of them today. I think four, three or four of them that were randomly picked out of the uh, of the um, things that came in. And we will uh, send you, of course, a book. We're going to get to that in a second. But send in your questions and comments. This is the last week that we're going to do this. So only two weeks we're doing this because we have an onslaught of already questions and comments that came in that we've either answered already um, or that we're going to put up on the next couple of shows. So you can get yourself a free book. So go get that because that will give you some of the answers, I think, to many of the questions. It is an evergreen, timeless book that I wrote a number of years back, there's some changes in it that you could look for, like where we actually get information from and how we get it. But but the the principles, the ideas, the substance behind what is brought forth in that that book is as good as it was then as it is today. I don't care how much the markets have changed or how much the players have moved around or how now, well... There's a lot more electronic now and people are doing things on their phone versus they were on the desktop before. Or, wow, back then, really, people weren't trading crypto. It's all the same. Whether we're looking at quantitative or fundamental or technical or whether we're looking at, you know, what is a stock or a bond or a mutual fund or an ETF or fill in the blank, it's there. So make sure that you get yourself a copy. It's also available for those of you that prefer, and many of you do, because we know you'll listen to podcasts. Listen to this in its audio version. You can go over to Amazon Audible. The audio version is still there. So I want to get a couple of random questions that were picked uh, for this week's show and then go through a couple of other things for the conversation today. We're going to have a short show because this weekend I have a funeral Um, In the family, which uh, I'm going to attend. So I wanted to get something down on tape, if you will. But uh, I do have a family obligation, which I need to take care of this weekend. So we're going to talk about uh, some of this, but probably have a little bit of a shorter show this week overall. So the questions that came in, again, these are random. They're questions and comments, really, if you want to look at it. Uh, This is from Danny B. Danny B and Danny B writes and he says with inflation, high energy prices, COVID and supply chain issues. What are some of the sectors you are uh, managing the storm with reasonably for the next year or two? This is PS. I'm all in for na- financial literacy. I actually have people at work asking me why is their 401k going down this year when it's been going up for years and years and they just don't understand what it is, So I'm spending some time trying to explain the issues, which is great, Danny. I think that is really a good service that you're doing there because people thought that you put your money in and it just goes up forever, not understanding the risks that are inherent with any investment, which is really important to understand that, yeah, you could lose money. Look at what happened with that great stock. Netflix now down 62% for the year to date. I mean, that's substantial. That's a loss. We just saw that Bill Ackman who invested in Netflix about, I think it was three or four months ago, pulled out and said, you know, I'm done with this stock. He lost $400 million plus for his clients, 4% total of his portfolio value on that one stock this year. A consideration when you're thinking about investing. So let's just get back to the first part of this, which is, hey, with inflation, all this stuff going on, you ask, hey, where are you going? So it's a really interesting question. And we're going to get to some of that when I talk to you about what I presented this week at a CEO roundtable that I thought would be really interesting to give you some of the insights that I brought to them. But I'll bring that to this discussion as well because it has been an interesting year when you look at what is going on with regard to sectors and asset classes and specific areas around the market, regions around the world, currencies, things are moving in unison. We see even Bitcoin, Ethereum, cryptocurrencies moving with the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ moving with Tesla, and the Dow Jones having recently broken that tie-up that they had where everything was moving together. It's kind of like recently this year, the Dow Jones is better than... The S and P, which is better than the Nasdaq, we see that value has been incredibly resilient up. That's right. The Russell 1000 Value ETF is up this year to date, where the Russell 1000 Growth ETF is down about thirteen and a half percent. Big differential. The bigger differential is even with the when you look at the small cap, the value versus the the growth, and I talk about this a lot. I talk about the differentials and th- this idea of value versus growth. And we have been sitting in a much more uh, tilted manner with regard to our positioning for portfolios in value over growth, depending on what style portfolio you have with us. But basically, in our global allocations and our investology, we have a slant, a tilt probably about 70, 30, 65, 35, depending on which risk factor you have in the area of value overgrowth. Now, that's one thing. The second thing is it's really important to watch your maturity in this kind of environment. Now, we looked back uh, probably about a year ago, and and if we take just for a moment, just for a second, if we could take out all the pandemic hoo-ha that went on, there was inflation building in the system before that and when you look at what has happened over that period of time and where you'd want to be with regard to the bond spectrum you want to be on the shorter side of duration of US bonds that is probably a very good idea shorter maturities you want to you don't want to be out 20 30 years you want to be you know 1 to 10 let's call it somewhere in that range even that is not doing real wonders for the situation because bonds are having their worst year on record, basically. And the year is not even over. Which leads me to start thinking about maybe it's time to think about rotating a little more back into some of those bonds. Because if bonds have gone too far on a historical and relative basis as, as where we think they can be, maybe the skew event that we've been looking for has happened and maybe it's time actually to, as this may sound really nutty, Elongate the maturities right now. Something we're thinking about, looking into, not really desirous of doing as we are seeing so much uncertainty in the world right now. And that is the biggest driver into where you are. And we are looking to position the portfolios in terms of our bond and equity exposure. But rest assured, there has really not been a, a great avenue for safety except for extremely, it's cash, cash, but no yield. But cash has been a great safety valve. We have some excess cash in portfolios across the board. But, you know, the bond exposure when you look outside the U.S. and you look at things like, for example, emerging markets, and you look at foreign, it's not not doing great. Not doing great, as a matter of fact, rivaling where some equities are. So you have to be very careful on that. The other things you have to look at is tips. Treasury inflation-protected securities are a way to protect about some of this. Supply chain issues, not a lot you could do with. Danny, not a lot you could do with. However, what you can do is look for inflation protection in things like commodities and in silver and gold and precious metals and things of that nature. So that gives you a wrap-up of some of the things that we're thinking about in terms of where we are investing right now, and that could change next week. (laughs) For for clients. Um, next question or comment comes in from Mark S. In Troy, Michigan. Where was Danny from? What does he say? Eh. I don't see it. Let's see. Okay. Nope. All right. This one uh, comes in from uh, Mark S. He says, can you send me your 12-page white paper on investing? Which I did. Uh, question for the podcast. Charting. How should I use charting to predict performance of a stock? What are the data points to look for? And what characteristics and chart graphs do I look for? Okay, there's a good question for you because charting technical analysis is an art form unto its own. Some people think it's great. That's all they use. My good friend Brian Shannon He would tell you, take everything else, throw it away. Even do me a favor, take the name off the chart. I don't want to know what it is. Let me look at the chart patterns. Let me look at the price action. Let me use some of my tools that I have. And he has something called an anchored VWAP as an example that he uses. Let me do that and figure out where I want to be from an investment standpoint. Okay. Others say, you know what? The hell with this. That's voodoo. All you're doing is painting colors on a chart on a piece of paper, what are you talking about? It's like it's like trying to live your life through a wonton, where you're getting your advice through your your, your fortune cookie. Others say it's like astrology. I say there's a really really good position in your portfolio management your positioning of when you actually want to look at buying and entering a stock, where the support is so you don't get spooked out or maybe where you start to think about adding to your position. Charting is an incredible tool. Technical analysis is an incredible tool as long as, as long as you use it in a, in, in, in a, some really good ways. It, it can be, Torn around, ripped around, made a story about I like to use volume and price. Something called market profile. Look this up. Market profile. I built an entire uh, suite of indicators based on market profile. The idea with the market profile is that we can understand tick by tick where people are putting their money to work. And primarily we're looking for where the big money is putting their money to work. And if I know that and if I have the knowledge of where that is, if you think about it for a second, I really have a great deal of knowledge about following along. I don't mind following along Fidelity or Goldman if I can understand where the players are placing their money and their bets, their level of and line in the sand for support or where there is really no palpable amount of of resistance where there is a gap of volume. If I could see that on a chart, you know what? That's something I could use. Moving averages, RSI, these are all really good. A lot of people, when they first start charting, they look at the MACD, the moving average convergence divergence indicator, and they start thinking, ah, that's really cool. I love this, okay? But you know what? There's other things that really tell you a lot more. I think a lot of people who use MACD, are very new. They realize after a while it's not the thing they think it is. It is not the greatest of all greats. RSI, Relative Strength Index. Interesting. Hear that talked about a lot by CNBC folk. I don't know why. I've looked at it. It's interesting. It could tell you when something's oversold, quote unquote, overbought. Okay. What does that mean? I think you need to tie that into other indicators. And of course, one of the things, if you ever heard me have a... a uh a talk on charting technical analysis is that the more confidence you have, the more you have the ability to look at multiple indicators that are giving you very similar signals, the confidence level of that trade of that entry of that sell is much higher. And that is something that I really like. I think that's really important to have several indicators that are providing you uh, with different signals but yet when they converge and give you a higher level of overall confidence, very, very important. Now the question then is, what charts do you use? Make sure that you're using a good tool, not just simply something that gives you price action. You want to make sure you're using something that has the ability to give you um, indicators that you could add or maybe even design on your own, which is kind of cool. But the bottom line is that charting When you look at this, I would start with moving averages, 50, let's say the 100 and the 200 on the daily moving average as a longer-term trader. I would look at RSI. I'd put that on the chart as well. And if you could put market profile and understand what it is, I built a whole suite of market profile indicators for TradeStation specifically. If you could look at that and then add the other components, I think you're really in great shape there. So thanks for that question we am going to send you a book. I told you I'm going to send you a book. There's a lot of chart patterns in there too: head and shoulders, cup and handle, breakouts uh, uh, of along of, uh, 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 tight bases, um, resistance, support. All that's in that book, by the way, just to let you know. All right, this next question. Let's see if there's a place here. I'm looking for places where people send me where they're from. Uh, another person in Texas, New Brunfels, this is from Juan. New Brunfels, Texas. He says, "Do you think crypto assets should be included as a new asset class to grow your wealth? The asset allocation model will look something like this: stocks, bonds, crypto, gold, silver, and cash." Uh, yes and no. You forgot a few things. So the, the right now, right now, the asset allocation model that is the old school, the old line. What do you have? It goes something like this. Stocks, bonds, real estate, cash. That's what it is. Now, you added in crypto, gold, and silver. So I'm going to throw this out to you. How about we do this as a modification? We have stocks. We have bonds. We have real estate. We have cash. And we have alternatives. Now, in in that alternative space... We can include a lot of different things, whether it's precious metals or maybe commodities in total or break that apart, put it back together. I don't care how you do it. Uh, We can have in the alternative space, maybe crypto. In the alternative space, we can have maybe fund funds and hedge funds. Think about that crypto area as something is, as is that next level. So again, I'll, I'll, I'll state this again. Great question. So you're proposing stocks, bonds, crypto, gold, silver, and cash. I think crypto, gold, silver, will put that into a bucket, call it alternative assets. And and the the right way to do this, in my opinion, and it doesn't have to be invested necessarily in all equally or anything like that. What you can do is you can look at this as a guideline into diversification. Very, very, very top level, 20,000 feet view, very basic, very broad based. Stocks, bonds, real estate, cash, alternatives. If someone could do me a favor, because I've never done this, come up with some acronym for that, that would be great. Stocks, bonds, real estate, cash, alternatives. We need an acronym for that. That would be really good. But the alternatives could really take up a good portion of the slack from the areas that are outside the correlation coefficients of what we look for when it comes to offsetting risk in a portfolio. So what happens is we want to look for those areas inside of the portfolio that maybe won't move directly with the other things. So if you have stocks, for example, right now, stocks and bonds and real estate are kind of moving together. Crypto is also moving together with that, but really gold isn't and oil isn't and some commodities aren't. So if you would have had that taken up inside of that, in the totality of that structure of your asset allocation, you'd be in pretty good shape. So thanks for that, Juan. I like that question. We're going to send you a book as well. And he gets a book and he gets a book and he gets a book and she gets a book. All right, next question. I think this is all guys. That's weird. Let's see, Danny, Juan, Juan, Mark. Okay, John. John is from Connecticut. Granby, Connecticut. Hello, Granby. Um, well, all he said was, huge fan of the podcast. Thank you for your great content. we love a copy of the book you mentioned in this week's episode. So I told you to send something in, and we're going to send in something on The Discipline Investor. Ask Andrew. Go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com. Click on Ask Andrew, very simple, and then just send me a comment. Try to send me your address, too, just to make my life easy in the event you're picked. But all of these this week that we picked randomly, four, we should have probably pick six this week. I don't know why we picked four, uh, are going to get booked. So thank you so much for their, all of your comments and your questions. Uh, I try to answer them personally. And uh, we'll continue that for this episode through the end. You got nine more, or well, no, one, two, five, six, six more days till the end of the month. Seven more days? Anyway, uh, make sure to get that into me, and uh, we will have someone do a random pick and send you a copy of the book, The Disciplined Investor Essential Strategies for Success. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I wanted to bring you some of the discussion that I had with this CEO roundtable that I was asked to speak at. Earlier this week, and and the topics they wanted me really to cover were about uncovering some of the areas that may not be known right now in terms of where money is flowing and where the opportunity lies, as well as a look at the economy and what was happening. And they asked me to do so in the eyes, or or, or from the aspect of to the eyes and to the ears of companies and CEOs of companies, but private. Companies and public companies, but primarily smaller businesses that are um, you know, running companies around around the world, but primarily in, in the U.S. So I I started to talk about this idea of trends and outlook and and where money was flowing, and and I, I I had to start with the obvious, which was the the idea of yields and the idea of where we are in the economic cycle with 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 relation to where we're going. And, and obviously the rate hikes that we're seeing and some of the concern about inflation was on the mind of CEOs and of companies. And what are they going to do about it? Whether it is the idea that their input costs are going up and skyrocketing, frankly, or is it just that they're going to have a struggle to continue hiring good candidates and the cost of their employment... Factor in the spreadsheets are going up. And what is going to be done about this? That's what they want to know. So I talked about what can be done, but really focused on what can't be done. And something we really haven't talked about a lot here is what the Fed is doing, but what they can't do. What they can't do. The Fed has many blunt tools to work with. This, again, what I talked to the CEOs about. They have many blunt tools to work with to fight back this war of inflation that has sparked up so intensely that they were caught wrong-footed. And they they have issues that relate to supply chain inflation and pandemic-induced inflation. And, and, and this whole idea that their back is against a wall, well, what can they do? And, and while they are going to attempt to work on the idea that they're going to slow down the economy... And suffocate demand to a degree that still doesn't solve the problems that are related to the difficulty in getting supply chain deals done. The problem with the fact that we can't get ships out of the Shanghai port. The problem with that we have a significant deficit because because prices of fuel are going up so dramatically due to a war and corn prices, and wheat prices, there is nothing the Fed can do besides crush demand entirely, which crushes the economy, that sends us directly into a recession that can be done to really slow down what is going on right now. It will happen. It's going to be more of a natural process. The Fed is going to try their best to do so. And they will be successful at least chopping off the top level of the froth. But in the same time, that's going to have some unintended or maybe intended consequences. Those intended consequences are going to be slow down the economy. That's what they want to do. The unintended consequences are going to be that some areas are going to get hit a lot harder. But make no mistake about it, one of the biggest problems that they see right now is that the majority of the people that have affordability problems in life without all of this going on are hit the hardest. Those people that have enough money to pay for food, transportation, insurance, these are the people that are getting absolutely smacked upside the head every single day due to the rising cost of food and energy. This is a big problem. It's very unbalanced. And the Fed knows this and is working on this. But they can't really do anything about it. So we need to understand that during this curve steepening process is where we are right now, a a rate increase problem where we've seen historically that this kind of inflation could bring on a number of rate increases beyond our expectations. What do we do? And we talked about that with one of the questions that came in with regard to uh, where do you invest in this kind of environment? So with that, where do we have to be careful in the environment, in the market right now? Well, clearly, we saw with Netflix this week that a lot of what we saw was pull-forward demand. And that's interesting to note, by the way, because if we do believe that there is a point right now where we're seeing peak demand and supply chain concern and higher prices that will probably bring on a slowdown of demand – you got to wonder if what Netflix is talking about, and I'm going to quote what they said in their conference call. They said that they believe that most of its slowing growth in 2021 was due to the COVID pull forward. And probably what we're going to see is that there are many other stocks today suffering the same declines because of that admission by Netflix, which is really started to stir some concerns that investors are looking at and have been looking at about, you know, disappointing growth numbers. So the pull forward, which is something we talked about two years ago, this pull forward concern, it's not something that's new. It's been talked about many, many times over the years by myself. I've been talking about this and wondering when is this going to start to show its ugly head that we had all of this go on. And look at stocks, you could see it. The pull forward was based on the peak Where everybody thought this is going to continue forever. People are going to be buying four couches for their house every single year somehow. By the end of the 10 years, you'll have 40 or 50 couches somehow. Wayfair, RH, right? These are the things that people thought was going to continue forever. So Netflix has really validated the concern that there is a current trend that is persisting. That is, vis-a-vis, we are seeing a slowdown in demand. It's happening already. The other thing that they want to talk about was some of these trends, like metaverse and next tech. And I talked to them about the idea that we have to really just go no further and look at what has gone on with Facebook, a.k.a. meta, with their Oculus and their VR headsets that are out there, Snapchat with their glasses, Google Glasses, you know, we look at all of these things and we start thinking about where are we going with this, and are we going to enter into a a, a generation that already is submerged and some and 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 uh, immersed in their phones for the understanding of who someone is. So rather than doing a face to face talk conversation it's all predicated on the image that is built online your your virtual image so so not in real life not irf image is built from your social media platforms your instagram your facebook your snapchat your tinder your what bumble whatever you're looking at right these are all how you build up this fairy tale of who you are and what not better place to really continue on with that fairy tale than the metaverse. Now, I'm not knocking it because I do think that while if we are above the age of 30, anyone listening, and I am far above the age of 30, I do think that you're like, oh, I don't understand. Let me understand this whole thing. We get on the metaverse, and what we do is we see people in avatars and talk and meet and play and do all that there? How is it? Oh, well, the younger generation has done that already. Their avatar is not as defined as it is in the metaverse, but they set up this avatar, this this not-in-real-life, their virtual avatar has been crafted for many years already. And the way that they talk is already not in voice, but it's in text and words. And we have several companies that we need to look at with there. We have like Unity Software, Roblox, Matterport, all doing horribly. Horribly. There's no question about that. Just, I, mean, just, I mean, there is nothing good about what's going on. And, and taking this one step further in this virtual world, we're going to use virtual payments, NFTs, coins, right? So if you think about what's going on with regard to um, the idea of, What is happening in the metaverse, what we have is a situation that we have to compound the idea of not only do we have a virtual image or an avatar, we have a virtual persona, we have virtual land, we have virtual money, we have virtual conversations. All of these things are very substantial to be understood with regard to how we think about What is going on with this whole metaverse? Is it going to be something that we are going to continue to say, oh, this is going to be the play of the future? Possibly, possibly not. Fact is, when you look at what's going on, though, there are a lot of companies involved. that You need to really understand. But that is going to lead us to the other area that I really focused in on with this CEO roundtable. And that was this. That was this. That with all of the technology that is going on, we need to have protection. And think about this in a very simple way. In the 1980s, 1990s, we were all about looking at oh, how do we have life? Um, how do we have uh, health benefits and 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 biotechnology? And and how do we have uh, things that will elongate our lifetime, making sure that we have you know ways to. Cure against cancer and illness and heart and all this stuff, right? Okay. Well, today I want you to think about that healthcare in a different way. I want you to think of it as technology healthcare. Technology healthcare in the form of protection against hacking and protection against um, uh, 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 denial of service. Uh, look at companies like CrowdStrike and Palantir and, and, and look at uh, companies like um, in, in the area of, well, there's a lot of companies, Microsoft too but there's a lot of companies in the area of protection. Um, Sentinel one, these are all companies that are charged with the health of our technology, which is a 20 uh, year, 2020 or 20, really 2011, uh, 2010 through 2050, probably going to be the healthcare of what we saw, what we're doing for individuals, lots of issues right there. And I think that's really important to look at. So, these were the areas, and and I think we've, we finished up, I think we, if I'm not mistaken, we finished up on one other area, which is the area of alt energy, things like solar stocks, the idea that we want to have more green, the idea that we want to have less reliance on places around the world that are not friendly to us. These are wind and solar, the, the areas that probably are and have been, they have been, there's no surprise, I'm not giving you anything really new here, but I'm just reinforcing these ideas that it was a significant amount of opportunities that were really put forth in these areas moving forward. So that's what I talked about with the CEO roundtable. And then we had some questions. And we went on for another hour or so with that. But very interesting topics, very interesting conversation. Um, but I thought I would bring that to you and, and, and go through with it. But really, really uh, um, a lot of, of, of interest and a lot of agreement, by the way, with all that's going on out there with, with these areas we touched on. Now, to wrap it up, we got to talk about what's going on with the markets because right now what we're seeing is there's no question about this. It's sell the rips. We had buy the dips for years. We're all used to that. It was great. It was wonderful. Oh, man, if it comes down, let's get some money in there. Right now, if you look at the action that we saw a couple of different times this week that just uh, passed, we had some very, very good market action in the early part at the open overnight. And then the selling started and things got obliterated we're talking about moves that were up anywhere from 1% or so on markets that turned down 1% during the day very quickly and uh, very meaningfully and a lot of that was really from the 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 talk that we're seeing from bullard from the various fed speakers about you know we're out of control with inflation we're going to be raising rates it's all about the same thing we saw the we saw the the uh, 10 year rate smack higher, getting really close to 3% throughout the week, get right up into that into that range. Uh, and that is something that a lot of people are saying that is that line in the sand that, you know what, I'm not playing. I'm taking my marbles, and I am leaving, and that is all there is to it. Now, with that in mind, I think there's something to be said about that. I do think that there's a lot of things that are setting up to be incredible opportunities here, and some of the things that are getting oversold to levels that are pretty interesting from a stock standpoint. The markets themselves are still not there. We're trading in a very wide range right now. And when we go back and think about the discussion I had with regard to technical analysis, one has to stop and look at the charts and wonder, is this all a giant game that's being played right now when it gets up to this top level? That's when we turn it back. When it gets to the bottom level, we start buying back in. And that is something that is very much part and parcel of the markets right now when we have indecision at its highest level that I can think of in many, many, many years. People think that the long term is going to be good, the short term is going to be lousy. The midterm, questionable. I don't know if I want to invest or wait. These are the problems you have in inflationary times. Should I buy now or wait for this to come down? It's not coming down. Okay, let's just get into it now. When it comes to buying a product or a good that we're talking about with relation to the pricing and the pricing pressure that we'll see for many years to come. Here we are in the opposite entirely. Is it going to be a situation where markets are going to go down? We have an inflationary market environment with a deflationary market. Maybe I'll wait. Maybe I won't put my money to work right now. That's what the thinking is, and that's where the indecision is. That is okay, and that's where diversification really becomes a great friend of yours, something we talked about for a long period of time, or where you have the right slant on your portfolio is extraordinarily helpful moving forward. As I mentioned, some family things this weekend got to take care of. I wanna thank you all for being here sharing with me. Make sure to go over to the disciplinedinvestor.com and uh put in a question. Give me your address. We have one more week. We're gonna give you the book giveaway. Thank you for so much for joining me for being there all this time. 15 years still going strong. I'll see you again next week and over the next 15 years. <laughs> oh, if I can do it right now. Thanks for that. We'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as the sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.